0: American firefighter Scott Matthew Davidson. Davidson was born on the 4th of January 1968 in Brooklyn, New York. And he would grow up to fulfill his childhood dream of becoming a firefighter. He called it the greatest job in America. Scott Davidson being stationed at Ladder Company 118 in Brooklyn Heights. He found himself working that tragic morning of September the 11th as the first of two planes crashed into the north tower of the World Trade Center. Moments after a second plane hit the south tower, Davidson and his colleagues raced across the Brooklyn Bridge, no regard whatsoever for their lives, and they disappeared into a cloud of soot and smoke. And you know all six firefighters would sadly lose their lives that day, and yet their deaths would not be in vain. See, tasked with evacuating the nearby Marriott Hotel, It was said that Davidson and his colleagues saved the lives of over 200 people before that north tower collapsed, killing Davidson and his friends. And this is just one of many accounts throughout history of individuals who have sacrificed their lives for the good of others. Men and women who have displayed love to both country and toward mankind. And the Bible tonight, it speaks about such acts of love. One portion of scripture we could think of tonight is Romans chapter 5 and verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. You think of the words of Romans 5 and verse 7 and Scott Davidson exemplifies what this verse is teaching. Because he was willing to suffer so that others would not. He was willing to die so that others would live. And yet the scriptures tonight, they speak of an even greater love than this. They speak tonight of the love of God. And having already addressed this theme of love in two previous chapters, 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 3, we find John again speaking about love here in chapter 4 and verse 9. It says in verse 9, In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. You compare what it says in that verse tonight about God's love to how the world views God's love. What a contrast you will find because God is viewed by many in society today not as a God of love, he's called a God of hate. He's called a God who is uncaring, who is unkind, who is unloving. It's particularly true, that attitude with those through times of tragedy. They'll ask questions such as, why did God allow this to happen? Why did God allow that to happen? Why did God allow Scott Davidson and his colleagues to die after doing so much good? You see, society's understanding of love, it doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from the songs that they listen to, the movies that they watch, the books that they read. And yet none of those things can adequately describe what true love is. John emphasizes that for us tonight in verse 10. He says, "Here in is love. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Herein is love." Herein is the truest, the highest, the most genuine kind of love. It's not man's love tonight, but it is God's love for man. That love was seen surely in his sending of his son Jesus Christ into the world to die for sin. And tonight I want us to consider for a little while the verse number 9 here. And I want to speak this evening upon the subject. There's no love like God's love. Very simply, I want you to see there's no love like God's love. And the first thing I want us to see tonight from verse 9 are the people to whom this love was shown. Because in the first three chapters of this little epistle of John, it outlines many distinctions between the true child of God and the child of the world. And yet in John chapter 4, he switches his attention. He focuses now in the opening verses of chapter 4. And he warns the believers against following after false teachers. He encourages them to love one another. And he does this by reminding them of what they once were. Because they were sinners. They were enemies of God. They were those who had been saved from God's wrath, from God's judgment. And in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9 and verse 10, John describes what it means tonight to be a sinner. He says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. You consider with me for a moment that statement that we might live through him. It suggests that in first tonight that to be without Jesus Christ is to be without life tonight. In other words, it is to be spiritually dead. Because John isn't speaking tonight about a physical deadness. Yes, you and I, one day we will all die. We will all take that final step into eternity. And yet here he's speaking about being spiritually dead because of your sin. I look at you tonight in cool rain. And it will be true to say that physically you're all alive and well. And you might even tell me after the meeting, Well, I'm in the best physical condition that I've ever been in my life. And yet there's a part tonight that I cannot see. I'm talking about your heart tonight, and I wonder here tonight, how is that heart of yours? I wonder tonight, do you have a heart that loves the Lord? Do you have a heart tonight that is in union with Christ? Or perhaps I'm speaking to individuals tonight, and your heart is in rebellion to God. I can't answer that for you tonight, only you can do that, and you need to answer it honestly tonight. And yet I want to tell you that if the latter is true, if you're living in rebellion against God then you're in the worst possible condition tonight because you're spiritually dead tonight. Turn with me for a moment to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to read it anyway. But Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 1, Paul tells us in clear terms what it means tonight to be without life. Verse 1 says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. What does it mean tonight to be dead in trespasses and sins? Well, Paul, he goes on to answer that for us in verses 2 and 3. He says in verse 2, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. In the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. To be dead in trespasses and sins tonight is to be under the power of the prince of the air. That's a reference to Satan, the devil. Is to be a child of disobedience. Is to be a child of wrath tonight. Is to lust after the things of the world, lust after the flesh. No desire whatsoever tonight for the things of God or for God. You see, tonight to be dead in your trespasses and sins, it means to be totally incapable, totally unable to do anything to save yourself. And yet Paul puts it another way for us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. Because he tells us to be dead in trespasses and sins, it is to be without strength tonight. It's to be totally unable, total inability without strength to do anything whatsoever to change your spiritual condition. Because, my friend, tonight if you're here without Christ, you can do nothing to save yourself. It doesn't matter if you're the best person in the world tonight. You're a sinner tonight and you need Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. Yes, in verse 9 we are told that to be a sinner it is to be without life. But in verse 10 it goes on to say that it is to be without love. John says, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He puts it in even simpler terms there in verse 19 of that same chapter. Because he tells us there we love him because he first loved us. You cast your mind tonight back to creation. Back to the time in the creation of man and man was made perfect. And therefore man's love was also made perfect. And as Adam and Eve, as they walked in the garden in the cool of the day, as they communed with God, they had a perfect love for God. And yet they fell into sin and things drastically changed with regards to their love toward God. Because once Adam fell, he ceased loving God. He no longer had any desire to fellowship with God. In fact, in the very opening chapters of Genesis, as soon as Adam and Eve had transgressed the law, we find them hiding from God. Hiding from God as God says, where art thou? They didn't want any fellowship with God. Sinful man tonight continues to hide from God. Happy to enjoy God's common grace tonight. All the things that the Lord provides to every individual in this world. And yet they've no desire tonight. They've no interest tonight in the things of God. And in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37, Jesus Christ, he's speaking to a lawyer, and the lawyer asks, what is the greatest commandment? And Christ says this, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And therefore tonight, to fail to love God, it's to commit the worst of sins. It is to love your sin more than you love God. I know the Bible speaks about many individuals who lived lives like this prior to their conversion. You think the of godly Abraham. He's called in the Bible a father of many nations and yet before God saved him he was an idolater. You think the of King Manasseh. Manasseh was probably the most wicked king that ever ruled in the land. He even sacrificed his own children to the pagan god Moloch and yet God saved him. Think tonight of Saul of Tarsus, a persecutor of Christians, would refer to himself as the chief of sinners, and yet again God saved him. You and I tonight who are saved, could we not put ourselves in that group? And yet we too can testify to God's saving grace tonight. How was such a thing possible? It was only because of the love of God. Only because God's love in sending his son The people to whom God's love is shown. Secondly, tonight, what about the proof of God's love? You'll be familiar with the expression that actions speak louder than words. And yet, what does that actually mean? Well, it means that it is one thing to say something, and yet it is another thing to actually do that thing. And I'm going to use myself as an example. You're always safe if you use yourself as an example. You won't offend anybody. My wife's here tonight and she'll testify to this. But I might say to my wife I'm going to do something and whether or not I actually do that thing is another matter. Very often the response I get from her is, well, Greg, that's great, but I'll believe it when I see it. Sometimes I forget. Doesn't mean I don't love her. It just means that I shouldn't make promises that perhaps I can't keep. Don't say things unless I'm actually going to do that thing. And yet such a thing could never be said tonight about God's love. God's love tonight, it is perfect in thought, in word, and in deed. And we see this clearly displayed tonight in our text in verse 9. He says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, in that he sent his only begotten Son. In this verse, there are three proofs of God's love that I want to share with you tonight. Because surely in verse 9 we see the sending of Christ. Notice the word there that God sent his son. To send here means to set apart. It means to send forth. It also can mean to send out on a mission. And in John chapter 6 in verse 38 Christ reveals the nature of his mission. Because he says therefore I came down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him that sent me. And the fact that God sent his son reveals something very important regarding his birth. It's something we touched upon this morning, but again, I feel it's worthwhile emphasizing it because it's in the text again tonight. There are those today who will teach that Jesus Christ's existence began with Mary and Joseph, began in that stable in Bethlehem. To teach such things tonight is nonsense. If you want to send something, I said it this morning. It needs to exist prior to that sending. You can't send something if it doesn't exist already. Our existence tonight it began with our birth. The day you and I were born, and yet in John chapter 1 and verse 1, it reveals to us that Christ existed from all eternity. John says, There in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And not only do we read that Christ was sent here into the world, but in 1 John 4 and verse 9 it tells us that he was manifested. And to manifest something as it's written here in the text, it means simply to make it visible. It means to reveal it. It can also mean to make known that which was previously unknown. It's very important to note tonight that this word manifested, it's speaking about a one-time event. That's how it is translated from its original language, a one-time event. It happened once and once only. It's a clear reference tonight to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. John 1 and 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And that he dwelt among us simply means that he tabernacled. You consider the Old Testament and the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the place, the dwelling place of the Lord. The people of Israel, they went and they would meet with God in that tent. And in the New Testament, we see something amazing. Because now Christ comes to men. He took upon himself human flesh without sin. He tabernacles with men today. And yet what does that fact mean tonight that he was manifest in the flesh? What does it mean for you and I tonight? It means that while God has loved us with an everlasting love, that's how Jeremiah describes it, His love had never been displayed in such a personal way before until he sent his son. You see, the incarnation tonight, it is the pinnacle of God's love. It is the highest point of his love. There's the sending of Christ, but what about the sonship of Christ tonight? Notice the words there, the only begotten son. In 1 John 4 and 9 that Christ is the only begotten Son. It highlights the Father's position with Christ. Christ was co-equal. He's co-eternal. He's of the same essence of the Father. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, Paul says, Being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And we sang the words of the hymn tonight, O come all ye faithful. I think it was in the second verse we sang the words begotten, not created. That's an important truth to remember tonight. Christ was begotten. He wasn't created. His humanity is unique. It's a one of a kind to humanity. Whilst you and I have been created, Christ is eternal. And therefore his sonship, it is an eternal sonship. And John here is careful in defending this truth. Because yes, in the incarnation Christ took human flesh. He took a human nature. And yet he remained the same time God. Both the Son of God, God the Son. Fully God, fully man, the God-man. Two natures, one person forever. And the truth of God is the only begotten Son. It's something that we read in the most familiar passage to everybody here tonight. John chapter 3 verse 16. Everybody knows this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Never allow the familiarity of such verses to devalue its amazement. See, God didn't send an angel, did he? He didn't send something else to save us. No, he sent his only begotten son. He sent the one in whom he declares on numerous occasions, this is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. Why did he send Christ? Simply he sent him because only Christ could save us. Only one with the same nature as mankind and yet a sinless nature. Could accomplish what needed to be done. Only Jesus Christ tonight can reconcile sinful man to God. There is tonight descending the sonship. But what about the sacrifice of Christ? Look at verse 10. It tells us there he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. And in the proof of God's love, it's seen in one word, that word propitiation. And I feel we need to define that term tonight because it's not something we use every day, is it? But very simply to propitiate something, it means to turn away the wrath of God by offering a sacrifice that satisfies divine justice. See, in sinning against a holy God, mankind, you and I, deserved the wrath of God. We deserved eternal death, eternal punishment in hell. And yet, how amazing is it to think tonight that God has given us something that we didn't deserve. All because of the love of God tonight. He sent his son, as the verse says, to be that propitiation, to be that sacrifice for our sin. And Christ, he met the demands of the law that we broke perfectly. He met every precept of the law. That's how Peter refers to it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, speaks of Christ when it says, Who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, being dead to sins, there you have it again, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. May we never get to the stage where the sacrifice of Christ fails to move us. May we never think lightly of what Christ has done. You think the night of Christ as he hung on a cross for you. Died for sin that was not his own sin. Endured more suffering than you and I will ever endure. He endured the equivalent of hell for our sin. And yet I read Isaiah 53 and verse 10 and I can't understand it because it tells us there that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. What did you and I do to deserve such love? We did nothing. There's nothing good in us. God owes us nothing. And yet at Calvary we have the greatest demonstration of his love. Paul says in Romans 5 verse 8, God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I trust that as we go home in a little while tonight, we'll think about these things. And may we even get on our knees tonight and pray like Paul did. When Paul thanked the Lord in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 15, he said, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And today has been a day of much gift giving. And I said it this morning, I I love Christmas. I really enjoy the time. Never let us forget the greatest gift. The gift of God's only begotten son who died so that you and I might have eternal life tonight. What about the purpose of God's love tonight, thirdly and finally? Look with me how verse 9 ends. It is that we might live through him. And the life spoken of in verse 9, it is a reference to spiritual life, supernatural life. That is through him. It's a reference to Jesus Christ in whom eternal life is found. And again, I believe we're brought to consider those words of John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What an amazing truth we have in that verse, and yet never forget to read on. Because verse 17 is a verse that's often overlooked, and yet I believe it's equally as important. Because it says in verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And you read your Bible tonight and it is filled with references to Jesus Christ being the giver of life. In John chapter 10 and verse 10 it tells us, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. In John 11 and 25 he declares, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. What about Paul's words tonight? Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If you're here tonight and you're saved, how can you even get your head around that? That God loved you. That God loved me tonight, sinners in whom there was nothing lovely. Nothing good, nothing pleasing to God. And yet God still loved me enough to send his son to save me, to die on a cross that horrible death for my sin. The only reason we can live tonight is because of Christ. And therefore, believer, tonight in the meeting, what are you and I to do with what we've heard this evening? Let me put it another way what should it cause you and I to do tonight? It should cause us to go home and thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for loving us so much that He would send His Son. But you know, it should also increase our love for Christ. Do we really love Christ as much as we should? Do we love Him more every single day? It's a soul searching question. Because that is the kind of love these verses demand. It should also cause you and I to have a greater love for one another. For the one you sit beside tonight, for the world that you and I live in. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And yet what about you here tonight without Christ? Maybe you're here tonight and you're not saved and it's great that you're here. What are you to do with what you've heard tonight? Well, John again gives the answer in verse 15. He says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has to us, God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Unbeliever tonight, confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And confess tonight that you need Jesus Christ tonight. It's impossible to know God. It's impossible to be reconciled to God without confessing and trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. That's what it says in Romans 10 and 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, if thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, I shall be saved. And what an amazing thing it would be at the end of a lovely day, a lovely Christmas day, if somebody here in Corinth tonight would get saved. You know, the incarnation of Jesus Christ is not something to remember at Christmas and then forget about it again. It's something that should be on our minds every single day as believers. It should be something that we endeavor to tell others every single day that God manifested his Son, manifested his love toward us and that he sent his only begotten Son into the world that you and I might live through him. Jesus Christ offers you this gift of eternal life tonight. He has done everything necessary in order that you will be saved tonight and therefore why not come tonight and put your trust in him? Be saved tonight. Accept Jesus Christ as your saviour tonight. And may this Christmas night, may you leave this church tonight a changed individual. Because you have Jesus Christ as your saviour. I trust you'll think upon these things tonight. I trust you'll do as I've implored you to do tonight and you will come and you'll put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. I just want to conclude our service tonight and I want to sing with you hymn 84. Hymn 84 is found on page 209 if you're using a hymn book. Jesus my saviour to Bethlehem came born in a manger to sorrow and shame oh it was wonderful blessed be his name seeking for me for me and we'll stand together as we close our service tonight and sing this please unto the Lord. and our god we just pray now that thou will accept of our thanks for all that has taken place tonight we thank thee that thou sent thy son into the world who seek and to save that which was lost as we've been singing about tonight and we pray tonight lord if there's one here seeking for answers one tonight seeking for christ may they not leave without christ tonight And we pray, Lord, that you will give them no rest until they've accepted thee as Saviour. And, O Lord, we thank thee for this day. We thank thee for what has taken place. We thank thee, Lord, for thy birth and for the wonderful truth we have in the word of God. And we pray now as we would go and depart our separate ways, you would take us to our homes in safety, look after us in the roads, keep us safe until we meet again for Jesus' sake and for thy eternal glory. We pray those things. Amen.